Heavenly Father, help us this morning as we once again gather to hear you speak through your word. Help us to be attentive to what you're saying to us from it. Help us to have hearts that are humble and ready to respond to it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to be a church on mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure all of us know people who are natural at segueing every conversation into their hobby or interest. And he's not as bad at this anymore, but my friend Wes, for the last few years, has been really good at this with cycling. Um, He got really into it. It became a big passion of his. And suddenly, every conversation, every problem, cycling comes into it. If you don't look that healthy, suddenly he's going, oh, you could get a lot fitter with with picking up cycling. (laughs) If you're having trouble with your car or you don't have a car, well, cycling's the obvious answer. If you're looking for a new hobby or you want to meet new people, cycling's the way to go. But he doesn't just tell people that. He helps people get there. If you've expressed any kind of interest in it, Next day, you get a Facebook message with something from Marketplace with a used bike to buy. He'll say, oh, I'll come with you and get it. I'll check it out for you. I know you don't know much about bikes. (laughs) Now, look, I never quite succumbed to his cycling thing, but whether we're naturals or not in the way that we share things in our conversations, All of God's people are sent with the good news of Jesus, something much more glorious, a message of life and hope that's for all people, that all of us as his people are sent to share. As a church on mission, this morning we're going to think about what it looks like to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go as his people. This is going to be the last of this series for us this morning. And just as a quick reminder, we've gone to a lot of places and thought through a lot of things as we've gone through this series. Uh, We've seen that it starts being on mission with a love for Jesus that overflows to his people and the lost around us. We've seen that it involves all of us, men and women of all ages and stages, ministering together and encouraging each other in the work of the gospel. We've seen that we do this amidst persecution here and around the world as Christians gather together in the name of Jesus. We've seen that it's something that affects us deeply in the places we spend our time and especially our workplaces. We've seen that we can be confident in this gospel to save people. And we've seen that it's this gospel that we connect with people in as we share Jesus today. And so now as we move this morning to sharing the good news, we're going to focus in on this passage that Spence just read back in Acts about Philip encountering an Ethiopian eunuch and sharing the good news of Jesus with him. We're going to see a few of the ways that I think this shapes the way we think about being on mission together, sharing Jesus with the community around us. But just to get our heads into the story and what's going on, Um, Let's take a quick look at the context at the start of the chapter. Um, Verse 1 of chapter 8 describes the persecution that's been going on with Christians that's meaning that they're getting scattered and then later will be proclaiming Christ because of it. 
Verse 1 says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. This all came about after the murder of Stephen, who was killed because of his faith, because he was telling people to believe in Jesus. And yet in God's plan, through this great persecution that broke out, it was the beginning of the massive spread of the gospel outside of Jerusalem to the whole world. Verse 4 says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Despite massive opposition, everywhere Christians went, they carried the gospel message with them and they spoke it to those around them that needed to know. One of the men who did this was Philip, and we see in the whole chapter a lot of his experience of speaking the gospel to people around him. He was one of the faithful men picked back in chapter 6 when there was problems with the distribution of food and people being left out. And so a bunch of guys were picked to oversee this, faithful guys, so that the apostles could dedicate their time to the preaching of the words. But this job obviously didn't stop them from speaking the good news of Jesus. For these men, it wasn't an excuse to shrink back in the background, to do a faithful little task and leave the speaking to the apostles. Stephen was one of these guys, and he just got killed because of how much he was sharing about Jesus. And Philip does the same. He first does it in this chapter throughout the city of Samaria and other places, And you can read about that in your own time. But this morning, we're going to be picking up the story afterwards when he's sent out on an unlikely mission to a desert place. Let me read from verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We start by Philip being sent by the Spirit to an unlikely place, a road that's a wilderness area, a desert, If we've been seeing him sharing the gospel throughout the chapter, we might be thinking, how's that going to happen here? Where's the people? Even my mate Wes, as good as he is at bringing up cycling, if there's no one to bring it up with, what's the point? But Philip goes, he's obedient to God, and he's called to go to this place, and he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, there's a few things to explain here. Um, Eunuchs were trusted officials that were usually in royal households, and they were usually trusted in these positions because they had been castrated and were not a threat, particularly to the women in the households. In this case, he was the court official to the Ethiopian queen responsible for all her wealth. It's a really big position. And I think there's three notable things that this passage shows us about this guy even though we don't even know his name. First, he's from very far away. 
as I was going through this passage in my theological college course last year, my lecturer pointed out that uh, the ancient Greek poet Homer, in his Odyssey, describes Ethiopians as people at the ends of the earth, the furthest out people. So in the context of this passage, this is a man who's come into Jerusalem, but he's from the ends of the earth, and he's returning to the ends of the earth. And that's a really big theme as the gospel goes out in Acts. And second, he's someone who fears the Lord. He's just come back from Jerusalem, not just for business or trade, but to worship God. And he's reading Isaiah. Yet, it's the third thing that puts all of this into perspective. He's someone that would have been an outcast in Jewish society. There's two reasons for this. Seems most likely that he was a Gentile, someone who's already excluded from God's people and who can only go to the outer edge of the temple to worship. And yet being a eunuch placed him into an even worse position in the midst of God's people. In Deuteronomy 23, Eunuchs are caught up in this group that's excluded from the assembly of God. He wouldn't have even been able to be a Jewish proselyte or convert. But remember from last week, that one of the focuses of Luke's writing in his gospel, and I think also in Acts as he writes it, is reaching the outsiders and the marginalized people with the good news of Jesus. And so we come to this moment where Philip meets this unlikely recipient of the gospel. And we're wondering, could the good news of Jesus even extend to him? And so we get to the point where he does share the good news of Jesus from Scripture. Let me read from verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I asked you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Once again, Philip sent off, this time to go and join this chariot where the eunuch is, And he overhears him reading Isaiah and asks him about it, but the man's confused about what it's saying and wants to know who it's talking about. And now, if you've been around church for a while, you'll be hearing this passage, you'll be hearing it spoken, and you'll recognize it as a really famous part of Isaiah in chapter 53. It's a prophecy of God's suffering servant, an innocent one, who would die taking the punishment for God's people for the sin of them. At this point, you're probably thinking, of course, we know the answer, it's Jesus. This seems like a perfect moment, doesn't it? And like any good evangelist, Philip responds with the gospel. 
starting with this very part of scripture, he explains the good news about Jesus. It shouldn't be unexpected that he would know that this is talking about Jesus. We've already seen two parts of Luke's gospel where this would be the case. In Luke 22, verse 37, just on the verge of Jesus' arrest and death, he quotes from this broader section of Isaiah and says he's fulfilling it. He's led to his death. He's silent before his accusers. He's put on the humiliating cross and killed for the sins of all God's people. After this, in his resurrection, he again says in verse or chapter 24, verse 27, that the whole Old Testament points to himself, starting with Moses and extending to all the prophets. And no doubt these apostles that heard this teaching for him caught their disciples as they were making them about how all of Scripture points to God's Son, Jesus. But I don't think even that captures just how good this news was for the eunuch. I think the broader context of Isaiah actually shows something even greater about how this promise is being fulfilled in Jesus. Remember how he was an outcast amidst the community. Not long after, in Isaiah 56, you get this beautiful prophecy of a time to come where foreigners and eunuchs, those that were faithful to God and his covenant, would no longer be outcasts. They'd be given a place in God's temple, a special name, and they'd have great joy in joining in God's people in prayer. The God who gathers the outcasts of Israel will gather in everyone with faith in his covenant. And so for the eunuch, the good news of Jesus is obviously definitely about salvation and life in him that can be found in no other place. But it's selling the good news short if you don't see the massive honour that he gets instead of the shame of his position. If we don't see the wonderful inclusion in all of God's promises that this man now has in Jesus, the news of reconciliation with God and his people, the gospel has brought an outcast from far off into God's family. We don't know if this discussion took minutes or hours but it soon becomes really clear that the eunuch responds in faith. Let me read from verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. We see this beautiful picture here of this eunuch responding in faith, of being baptized and having great joy and fulfilling these same promises that were made in Isaiah of what was to come. When he sees this water and he says, what can prevent me from being baptised? I know 
from circles that I've been, this is often used as a bit of a joke when you're at a pool party and nothing will prevent someone from being chucked into the pool and getting baptised. But no, I, I think this is actually talking about the place that he's been in as a eunuch and how every barrier that stopped him from being included in God's people is now gone through the gospel of Jesus. Being a Gentile wasn't enough to stop him anymore from becoming one of God's people. Being a eunuch wasn't enough to stop him. All people, including this man, who respond in faith to Jesus are brought into the family of God. Some make a big deal about some of the details of the baptism here. Um, It's clear that they're in water. What they do in the water is unclear. But I think the main thing is that it shows us this usual picture of baptism in Acts, where people come to faith and respond rapidly with being baptised in the name of Jesus. When they do come up of the water, Philip's whisked away, don't know how, but in the spirit, and he immediately continues this task, going from town to town, on the way to Caesarea, preaching the good news. But the eunuch, he goes on in joy down the road, back off to his home, and there's no doubt someone who's carrying this same news of salvation with him to the people that he's from. Through salvation in the gospel of Jesus, this man is now included and honoured in a way he could never have been before because of the time that it is, because the Saviour has come. And so as we consider the story of this man's conversion, as we think about what it looks like for us to be on mission as a church together, how does this help us? I think there's, there's three ways that stand out to me that this passage encourages us. And it really is encouraging us to think of ourselves as a church on mission, as people that share the good news of Jesus wherever we go as God's people. The first of these ways is that all of us are sent with the good news of Jesus. It's all too easy to think that I'm the ungifted one. I'm the one who's bad with words. I'm the introvert. I'm the one who's called to faithful background work. We're fearful we'll mess up gospel conversations, so we'd better leave it to the people who are good at it, who are trained or are experts. But if this is you, I want to encourage you to see from this passage that it's just simply not the case. All of us, no matter who we are, are people who have heard and have been saved by the good news of Jesus. This is someone who was tasked with looking after the food. It's an important job. But just like the apostles, he follows after the Lord Jesus in declaring the good news of what can be found through faith in him. All people are sent. That's me and you with this good news of Jesus as we go about our life together. I've heard some people use this passage to say that we need to wait on God to tell us when to share the gospel with others. And yeah, there's direction going on by the Spirit here, but I hope you notice that the Spirit's only telling him where to go. The assumption was that he'd speak the good news wherever he went. As long as we're where we are, where God has placed us, we're called to share the great hope that we have in the gospel with the people around us. This is your house. 
It's your street. It's your social groups, your workplace. It's your school, your university. Everyone around you. It's your family, your friends, and even strangers you haven't yet met. It can be in places you'd never expect. You'd never expect God to work in. But all of us have people near us who don't know Jesus. Whether we're friends with them yet or not. And being on mission together looks like encouraging each other to share this good news wherever we are with whoever is around us, that they too might call on Jesus for salvation. But this is where the tricky part is for many of us, how we go about sharing it. I think that's often the biggest barrier for people I know. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We've had a conversation before and it's gone bad. It's been awkward. People have rejected you. Or maybe none of that's happened yet, but you think it certainly is going to. And it definitely is hard. But I think the beautiful thing from this passage is that it shows us that we're given God's word as the basis of our sharing as we share the good news of Jesus. And look, yeah, the eunuch was already reading Isaiah and it might feel like the perfect opportunity you've never had to swoop in and say what it all means. But remember, he didn't even understand it. We shouldn't let fear of people not understanding the Bible, not understanding what we're presenting to them, put us off using it as we share the gospel. He uses ordinary people like Philip and me and you to help other people hear the gospel and help other people understand it. And he applies his words by his spirit to their hearts that they might have faith in him. It's a beautiful thing because... We don't have to look anywhere else for the perfect surefire tool to have people come to Jesus. We already have his words. We already have the whole story from creation to new creation of all God's promises finding their fulfillment in Jesus, his plan to rescue his wayward people that they might have life forever with him again. We don't need to tweak that story to make it sound more exciting. We don't need to change it to something that someone else might want to hear more. God speaks still today and calls people to repentance and faith through his words. On the next slide, I'm going to put up four pictures of ways that I have used the Bible before to help people hear the good news of Jesus, whether for the first time or many weeks in advance. And the first one up there is, is the Bible. It's just been me getting out my Bible and sharing what it says with people. And I want to start there because it's really easy as we hear about other tools, good tools, scriptural tools, to think that they're what we need rather than God's word itself. All those other three on the list, they're all things that have been coming about in the last few decades. And people have been doing this across the whole time of the church, and they're really helpful, but we can share the gospel with God's word alone. I met a guy from Somalia a few weeks ago who was a Muslim, 
and he was Googling a prophet from the Quran to try to understand better because he can't read the Quran very well. And he ended up finding passages about this prophet in the Bible. And he was like, oh, this is great. It's in a language I can understand, and it makes sense. It's believable. These prophets are not just um, perfect people with no flaws. They're everyday people like us that God uses as part of his plan to show them Jesus. And slowly he kept reading and reading on his own, and he came to trust in Jesus. And he joined a church and is now gathering regularly with God's people. Purely from reading the Bible, even without the help of someone else, this man came to Jesus. It can happen. But even though that can happen, that's not the usual way that we see God at work as his word is shared in people. The usual way that we see it is people speaking it and people teaching it and helping people understand it. And those next three tools on that slide are all scripturally-based tools that I've used before that are really good at doing this. Um, that first one after the Bible is Two Ways to Live. It's what I was first trained in as a new Christian in how to share the gospel in a brief way where each section is hinged on a part of scripture that really clearly explains the gospel. I still use this regularly today to help make sure I don't forget details when it's in the heat of the moment and it's easy for me to stumble over my words. And a number of friends I know today are still using this every day as they go and they meet new people or as they meet up with people around the Bible. It's a great place to start in being able to articulate the gospel well yourself and to speak it to others. The next two are more tools that are used to slowly, week by week or fortnight by fortnight, meet around the Bible with people. Um, the first one up there, the word one-to-one, is the Gospel of John with lots of annotations and notes that help do all the explaining for you of any questions that you might have had, let alone your unbelieving friend. It's someone that really anyone can use. And if you've heard people from City Bible Forum up here share, it's the tool they recommend for workers to invite their colleagues to meet around to encounter Jesus in the Bible. A number of my friends are using this right now. Um, Andy Reid in church is meeting with an unbeliever um, recently to read the Gospel of John with the word one-to-one. And Thurindu helps train people in reading the Bible with others this way. And so it'd be great if you are thinking about doing this to chat with them. That last one on there is called Uncover, and it's a little booklet on its own. It's a Gospel of Mark or Luke. But my favourite part of Uncover is its questions. Every time you read, as you just slowly read through the Gospel, there's five questions that it encourages you to ask. It gets you to retell the story and point out if anything's unclear as you retell it. It gets you to think about how the different people react to Jesus. It asks what it reveals about Jesus through what he says and what he does. It asks people to think about the reason for why Luke or Mark has put this in here, what the purpose of it is, and how are they going to respond as they've read this part of the Bible now. It's really a process you could use for any of the Gospels and something I've met up with lots of unbelievers with to use. 
There's so many ways that we can share the gospel and the good news of Jesus with others. This is really only scratching the surface. But this passage encourages us that at its core, it's scripture that is the words of hope and life for people we're sharing with. As long as we're using tools that are rooted in it, then we can be confident that as we speak and explain the gospel, that God is at work. I'd love to chat with anyone who's curious and hasn't used any of these before and would like to give it a go so I can give some more advice after the service or such as someone like Thrindu or anyone else. God is at work through his word in calling people to Jesus and so we ought to use his word in scripture as we share the good news too. The last thing I think this passage shows us is that we're called to share with everyone around us, knowing that God can draw anyone into his family. The least expected people can be made our brothers and sisters through the gospel. The people most on the fringe, the people most on the outside. Last week, it might have been the tax collectors and sinners that were at that party. This week, it's this Ethiopian eunuch The gospel is truly good news to all who repent and believe. And there's no limits of who can be brought in. It could be someone you've been praying for for five years, for 20 years, for 50 years. Yet God can still use this good news to bring them to life in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you aren't a follower of Jesus, this is extended to you too. You might think you're the last sort of person who could ever believe in the gospel of Jesus. But the New Testament is filled with stories of people like this, who people who have found life in Jesus, people who were persecutors of Christians and have moved to teachers and encouragers of the church. If you've never read one of the gospel accounts before, read it. Tell someone else that you're reading it. And let them join you in discussing who it's saying Jesus is. For believers here this morning, let's help people see how good the news of the gospel is. Not just in the simplistic ways, but all the ways that the gospel and its implications change our lives forever in Jesus. Consider for yourself all of the parts of the Bible that you would go to to describe how good it is that you've been saved in Jesus. If you are talking with an unbeliever, which of these passages could you go to with them to share how good the gospel is? How, like the eunuch, might the gospel transform someone? Someone who is an outcast, an outsider, someone who is deeply broken because of sin, and transform them to find life and hope and joy forever in Jesus. Why not discuss some passages like this over morning tea that would be great things to share with unbelievers as you rub shoulders with them during the week. As we start wrapping up this morning, we've seen that a church on mission is called to share the good news of Jesus wherever it goes, wherever each of us go as his people. It's not just something helpful or interesting. It's something that changes lives forever. It's something that we desperately need to hear for our greatest problem of sin. It's something that saves. So wherever we go, let's share this news.
Wherever we go, let's show people from the Bible how good this news is. Wherever we go, let's share it with everyone, no matter what we might think, or no matter what we might think they think, with confidence that God can draw anyone into his family in the same way he's joining you and me and believers through the centuries. Let's pray for God's help with this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, that though we have all sinned and fallen short, that by his death, taking your wrath in our place for our sin, we can have forgiveness, life forever with you. Father, thank you that the gospel draws in all people, no matter where they're from or who they are, that it's simply through faith that we are saved. Lord, help us as a church to have the gospel on our hearts and on our lips as we go about our weeks, confident that you're at work through it, confident that you save, knowing that there is nothing else in this world that can give life but this in Jesus. Lord, help us in this, we pray in his name. Amen.